I'm Hannah Lutz with Automotive News. We'll get to Daily Drive shortly, but I wanted to let you know about a special podcast series called EV1, A Legacy in a New Light. 25 years ago, General Motors rolled out a vehicle called the EV1. It was a triumph of electrification that ended in a crushing blow. But the car planted the seed for the industry's embrace of EVs today. In the special podcast series, automotive news reporter Pete Bigelow and I talk with those involved in the rise and the fall of this electric vehicle. You can find the series at autonews.com slash EV1 podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hi everyone and welcome to Daily Drive. I'm Steve Smith with Automotive News and it's Thursday, April 29th. Today on the show, I catch up with David Opsahl, CEO of Actify, a software company that helps Tier 1 automotive suppliers better manage their OEM programs. Opsahl is also a member of Forbes Business Council, where he recently penned an article titled The Semiconductor Shortage, Are Car Companies Now Consumer Electronic Companies? If your immediate reaction to that title was agreement because all of the rich and wonderful electronic content available inside vehicles coming off production lines today, well, You wouldn't be wrong, but you'd miss the point of the article. The point, according to Opsal, is a need for automakers to think like consumer electronics companies when it comes to their purchasing operations, their sourcing decisions, and how they manage their overall supply chain. Unlike Tier 1s who supply wheels, axles, exhaust systems, and other traditional auto parts whose primary customers are OEMs, suppliers of semiconductors serve multiple industries. The result? A highly valuable and critical commodity in the automotive supply chain where OEMs and traditional Tier 1s are not only competing against each other, but they're also competing against players in other industries. And the leverage those suppliers have, says Opsal, is different. And as a result, purchasing organizations within traditional automotive companies have to change how they source, how they stock supply, and so much more. He also says doing that requires a different kind of talent. The good news, there are lessons learned, best practices, and terrific people in other industries, like, for example, the consumer electronics industry. Opsal also agrees that if changes aren't made, there could be another supply chain disruption on the horizon. This time, in the industry's push to electrification, and companies across multiple sectors competing for lithium and other rare earth metals needed to power battery technology. What other advice does he have for OEMs and suppliers? Why is having deep visibility in the supply base a critical need to manage risk and disruption? What are his thoughts on a recent survey of 475 automotive news subscribers and readers? We've caught up with Activize CEO David Opsahl at his home office in Central Oregon. Dave, thanks so much for joining me today on Daily Drive. How are you? Doing well, Steve. Thanks. Glad to be here. Good to speak with you and certainly an important topic today, talking about semiconductors, an issue that is 
making headlines almost every day now within the global automotive industry. So why don't we start with, um, in the context of the semiconductor shortage, you recently wrote an article in Forbes that car companies need to think of themselves as consumer electronic companies. Can you explain to our listeners what you mean by that? Sure. Uh, One of the things that uh, I think... uh, you know, anyone who's uh, purchased a car recently has uh, experienced is there's a lot more content uh, in the car that uh, is based on electronics. So whether it's an entertainment system or navigation system or driver assist or anything, the, you know, the level of content involving electronics, both hardware and software, has more than doubled in the last 20 years. And that trend's only continuing, and it's, you know, electric vehicles uh, is accelerating that. So, you know, there's, there's the content side of it that, you know, is increasing the pressure. Um, but where it, I think, requires a, a change in the way that, uh, at least in my view, that the companies need to think is that it, it it's requires you to think differently in a couple of different ways. We're going to talk later uh, I imagine about uh, you know where where this gets into the procurement side of things, and, mm-hmm. you know, and why the issue even came up. But you know, it affects things just like thinking about the kind of people that you need to have on staff. Uh, what are what are what are the skill sets that you have to have? Uh, how competitive are you in being able to attract those kinds of skill sets? Um, you know, you think about the system design uh, and uh, what's required to be able to do that. It's not a skill set that you typically find, you know, inside uh, the automotive industry. Uh, it's been more so that way, but you're also now competing with every consumer electronics category. You're competing with uh, other manufacturing industries that are going in that same direction. And it requires you to think differently about how you hire, how you plan. Uh, it uh, impacts the way you think about procurement, uh, and we're going to we're going to touch on that. I think here in a little bit. So it's a it's very much a mindset, and it has a lot to do with uh, uh, the way the supply chain is organized and how automotive OEMs and their suppliers do business together. Because it's not like any other industry in the world. Well, I want to talk about the supply chain issue specifically related to semiconductors here in a couple of minutes, but I let's let's stick with this talent piece because I've had a couple of people on the show over the last couple of weeks that have been really talking about the talent mindset, the data mindset, uh, and you bring seem to be bringing a different point of view relative to bringing in the procurement side of things as well, but a lot of the conversations that I've been having recently have been around, hey, not only semiconductors, but data overall and having the people that know what to do with this data. And if you're an automaker, if you're a supplier, it's not only the production, the engineering, the 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 procurement skills, but you have to have the data scientists and, and the, the people with the know-how to actually do things and create insights and create revenue from the data that is that is you know some people call it the digital exhaust that's coming off of all of these connected pieces so let's stick with that i mean from your mindset if i'm an employer if i'm an automaker if i'm a supplier how do i go get those people what is the imperative that i need to start talking about that says hey 
you potential individual, you're looking at a consumer electronics company or you're looking at the automotive industry to start your career, we think you ought to start here and this is why. Well, I, I, I think there's this uh, perception that the automotive industry is one that is locked in, you know, old manufacturing practices. And in some cases, that's, you know, absolutely true. But, you know, when you're recruiting for talent uh, as a tech company, we sort of have a built-in attractiveness to us because there's all of this um, uh, uh, component of people's compensation, for instance, that deals with things like stock options. So, you know, there's the economic side of it. Uh, you know, if you're thinking about an advanced technology as a data scientist, are you going to go to Google or are you going to go to Ford? So you need to be able to uh, position the value of the data and uh, the opportunity for the data scientist to do something beyond what that person is going to be capable of doing when they're presented with all these other options. You need the same talent you're just providing a different opportunity. So how do you shed that older image of, you know, a mature industry that's not a lot, uh, uh, there's not a lot of excitement left in that. Uh, electric vehicles have kicked that up some, but, uh, you know, I think the industry overall still has that perception in the minds of a lot of younger people, you know, especially the talent that's coming out of university. Yeah, I would imagine that a part of it is also this underlying hangover, if you will, in the United States, that manufacturing jobs are dirty, dumb, dangerous. You can't build a a, a rewarding yeah. career out of manufacturing jobs. And I think, you know, that yeah, for those of us that live in this industry, those those type of perceptions, I think, have been expelled in many ways. But there are still folks out there that 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 share that or have that that legacy perception of what it is to build things and some of the maybe career challenges that come with that. Very, very true. Absolutely. So let's talk about supply chain and let's talk about the semiconductor uh, piece in particular, right? Mm -hmm. You talk about it a little bit. We kind of, we, we, we touch on it with, in terms of auto companies versus consumer electronics companies. How is this supply chain issue different from past supply chains that have impacted the automotive industry? Well, I think to answer that question, I'd like to, because uh, I don't know, uh, to what degree the audience knows just how different uh, the supply chain operates, you know, in the automotive industry. But uh, the, the best way to describe that difference is to start with that. So, you know, unlike virtually any other manufacturing, discrete manufacturing segment in the automotive industry, an automotive OEM has a set of suppliers uh, that they work with, um, tier one suppliers. Uh, you know, they source uh, sometimes complete vehicles. Uh, but what they've done over the years, over the last 25 or 30 years, is they have pushed uh, as much risk and responsibility on the suppliers as they possibly can. So if I'm uh, a major OEM or any OEM, I'm able to select from a very limited number of suppliers who have uh, a particular expertise, say, maybe in the fascia or in drivetrain or you know, any particular part, you know, of the vehicle, their interaction is one where um, the uh, supplier uh, is given the opportunity to bid for uh, particular work on a specific program, and uh, they need to commit to price and delivery, okay, uh, within a matter of weeks of being presented with that information for something they haven't even completely designed or built or defined the means of production for that. And so over the course of, 
you know, getting ready to actually produce this this product, there's this tight relationship between the supplier, you know, and the OEM. So when things happen, and they always do in in that particular program, uh, let's say there's a change in demand, the OEM is able to work with the supplier and say this, you know, we want to slow production down or we need to speed production up. You know, with sequencing and the rest of the things that they're able to do, the automotive industry has achieved a level of just-in-time, you know, production that is uh, actually pretty remarkable when you think about how complex it is. But it's because of that relationship with the suppliers that they're able to negotiate some of those things. But it essentially keeps those suppliers as captive. You know, uh, they 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 know exactly how much business they're going to get over what period of time from the supplier or from the OEM for that program. Okay. But they're not competing with anybody else. The supplier has the ability to produce that. If there's an increase in demand, they negotiate how they're going to do that. And, you know, they, they resolve those issues that way. Okay. So that supplier is not competing, you know, uh, or the OEM is not competing with uh, anybody, anybody else for that supplier to be able to provide that business. When you bring semiconductors into this now, you're now buying standard product generally. We're not talking about ASICs or anything specific. We're talking about common components, sensors, um, uh, CCDs for uh, cameras, uh, just basic EPROMs, things that are part of any of the electrical subsystem that the supplier needs. And so in that case, uh, you know, they are dealing with a completely different set of suppliers who are not captive, who have all kinds of different sources of where demand can originate, and they have the option of going with whatever, you know, opportunity they think is going to give them the, be- the best business. If you have a situation where lead times, uh, as they are in the semiconductor industry, uh, something on the order of 26 to 28 weeks generally, you don't have that ability to negotiate, you know, changes in demand. Uh, and so what you saw in this particular case is the pandemic hits. Uh, there's no, because of this just-in-time focus, uh, you know, with the rest of the supply chain, what you uh, uh, didn't have in this particular case was they canceled uh, orders for uh, a lot of the components on that side. And when demand uh, didn't drop, the way that they expected it to, they attempted to reorder. The just-in-time side of this eliminates things like um, uh, like forward buying. In other words, uh, you know, being able to buy but not necessarily take delivery and know where you are in that schedule, or having buffer stock. So when you're sequencing things to arrive just as the production line requires them, okay, there's no need for buffer stock. But when you have a demand shift like this and you don't have a captive supply chain, you don't have the option of being able to get your needs met. So the industry works completely differently, and the automotive suppliers aren't used to that. They're, uh, the, the OEMs and the supply chain are not used to having to deal with those sorts of conditions. It's a new world for them, new sets of suppliers, new rules. 
Well, yeah, absolutely. You're competing with consumer electronics companies and healthcare companies and all of these these things. To your to your point, right? The the suppliers, particularly in semiconductors, seem to be more of an leverage position than than some of the traditional uh, suppliers supplying axles or wheels or or these more traditional pieces uh, components of a, of a of a vehicle. Let me ask you, you: you we talk about these other industries, et cetera, et cetera. What are other industries doing related to semiconductors that you, you know that that are protecting them from these types of issues and and what are things that if you're sitting in the procurement office of an OEM what are things that uh, you would recommend happen things that they need to be thinking about to shield from future supply chain risks associated with semiconductors well I, I think the biggest thing is what we just talked about is the idea that you have to realize that you do not have the kind of supply chain you're accustomed to dealing with and while you may have had certain things like consumables or the limited amount of raw material that uh, an OEM actually orders these days. Um, you, you may have had supply disruptions in there, but by and large, because that risk is pushed down to the, to the tier one and below suppliers, um, you don't have to deal with that. You do now. You do now because if you do not have the visibility of uh, uh, where, where your supply chain is in terms of those issues, uh, you're you're going to run into this situation over and over again. So, for instance, one recommendation would be uh, maybe you as the OEM, you know, you, you're not having buffer stock, but if you do not negotiate the ability for your supplier to be able to put some of that in on your behalf and be willing to pay, you know, the cost of having that there, then you're going to be exposed to this problem. And that requires procurement to think differently because normally the idea of paying a supplier to cover that risk on their side is something you would assume is entirely their responsibility. It needs to be a cooperative decision as part of the specific program that the supplier is working on. Depending on what program it is, where the auto is being introduced, what the forecast is for uh, for sales, it's going to dictate uh, to what level they have to invest in being able to, you know, uh, implement some of those things like buffer stock or or allow for forward buying. Okay, and that's just a different mindset, and it needs to start with that. Uh, I think the second thing is you have to find a way to get visibility into your supply chain. And one of the things we've learned is is that that doesn't exist, not in any kind of close to real-time basis at all. And uh, finding out how you do that is going to be something that requires the OEMs to take a very, very serious interest in the maturity of their supply chain and its ability to deliver that kind of visibility to the OEM. They need to know, they need to know where that situation is. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online. eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. 
Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory, sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. So a couple of questions when it comes to that specific specific piece. You, you mentioned that does not exist, and I'd like you to clarify that visibility does not exist and i'd like you to clarify if the context of that is that in other industries or is that specific to automotive and and if it's broadly you know what what can be done or if it's an automotive you know what are these other industries doing that is different from uh the automotive industry and getting that that deep view before you 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 offer your perspective on that you know i think is an important backdrop we just surveyed 500 actually 475 subscribers and readers of automotive news between april 13th and 16th on this topic and we asked them you know how would you rate your view into the tier one tier two and tier three supply bases 34 percent described their view into direct tier one suppliers as average or below average which i thought was stunning and that even gets worse as you talk about tiers two and tier three the visibility yeah. as you as you point out, gets worse and worse and worse the lower that you go. So, you know, given that validation to what you say that that doesn't exist and and where you sit in the world, right? Are there other folks, other industries that are driving that visibility better than automotive, or is this broadly across anybody that 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 manages supply chains? And how do you fix this? Well, I think I think there are situations in other industries where this this exists, but I think it's less about which industry you're in than it is how you run your business. And what I mean by that is that, uh, you know, much like the automotive industry used to be, say, 30 or 40 years ago, where it was highly verticalized, when you're verticalized, it's easier to get that kind of visibility because the source of the data is all within your purview. It's within your your span of control. You know, if you've got uh, uh, raw material coming in one end of a factory and finished product going out the other side, you know, you know, exactly all the way through that chain, where is everything at any particular point in time. But when you get decentralized, and this is where automotive is perhaps a little different, I think, than say something like aerospace and defense is, is that in automotive, it's highly, highly decentralized. You know, we talked earlier about just how how much the industries achieve by being able to get the suppliers to assume more of of the risk and responsibility for the content in the vehicle that they produce. But the uh, uh, you know the the uh, the difficulty then for them is they don't have any of that visibility. So let's take an example of uh, you know I am uh, delivering a, uh, a subsystem an electronic subsystem that is going to go into the front end of, uh, you know, a vehicle of some kind, and that subsystem is going to give me camera display and proximity, right? I might be a Tier 2 supplier. I could even be a Tier 3 supplier. But if I have semiconductors as part of that, okay, how as an OEM do I understand my risk 
from that supplier, okay, not having a sufficient level of stock and no forward buying because it wasn't part of the contract, how am I able how am I able to deliver the status information on where I am from my part of that program? And you think about the fact that you have across any supplier, probably anywhere between eight to 12 different disciplines within that particular company that's responsible for filling one part, just one piece of whatever's in that program. And then you uh, multiply that times the number of programs that a typical automotive OEM is running. Uh, you know, I've read, uh, or you can find, you know, places where companies like Volkswagen, for instance, I think in 2021 is introducing more than 40 new models, I think was the number I saw. 40 new programs, 40 times just in that one OEM for a lot of these things to cascade up. So uh, one of the things that uh, we had an interesting experience was back in uh, September of last year was an opportunity to uh, talk to executives at a couple of the OEMs. Uh, these were people responsible for you know the entire production of vehicles coming out of their plants. And we were describing to them uh, uh, an approach we had for, for solving this problem. And it's not, uh, it wasn't a solution for them. It was a solution for the suppliers. And the data that came back from your survey, uh, all I can tell you is we heard exactly the same thing. We described to them what it was that we were doing. And, you know, the response we would get would be something fairly typical like, uh, if you can actually do this, I have suppliers who need this today because every time I ask them, where is the status of my program? The answer I get back is I have to get back to you. Well, that's interesting because the other part of the survey that we asked was, okay, are you rethinking supply chain risk because of the semiconductor issue? And as you can imagine, yes, a lot of them are, almost half of them are. But then you ask automakers and suppliers in the survey, hey, are you going to invest in technologies that might offer earlier signals relative to potential supply chain disruptions. And it's about 22% that say yes, which to me is a paradox. If, you, if you're saying you're yeah. mitigating risk, if you're saying you mm -hmm. want better visibility in the supply chain, if you know there's technologies out there that can help create that visibility, the fact that only 22% are saying, hey, we're thinking about, or yes, we're investing in, we're planning on investing in these types of technologies to create that visibility, to me seems like a bit of a paradox. How, how would you react to that? Well, I think it is a paradox, and I think there's a, a very good reason for it. Um, it's interesting, though, if you just think about it you know, objectively from the outside, can you imagine a, a CEO or senior executive uh, uh, you know, saying, no, uh, making improvements in those areas isn't important considering what we've just been through in the last 18 months. Uh, I don't think so. But I think the reason why too many people aren't willing to do it is because typically the answer coming from the software industry to solve that problem is you, you need to spend millions and millions of dollars to rework this uh, and you know, a lot of companies, especially when you get below the very top of the tier one supply chain globally in the automotive industry, the IT resources available for, for people to actually acquire, evaluate, acquire, and implement solutions for problems like this uh, is just out of reach. 
in their minds is out of reach. Uh, they don't understand how some of the things that have uh, happened in the last you know, several years uh, in areas like enterprise automation and other places can actually solve a lot of this problem, but without requiring these massive monolithic investments that are so typical for a lot of um, the business systems that uh, these folks are presented with. And uh, uh, I, I think that if solutions are out there, that allow people to do incremental change and attack some of these problems, uh, you know, a piece at a time. For instance, just tackle the program management problem. You don't have to boil the ocean, come up with a new design process to solve some of this. What you need is a way to be able to get some visibility so that you can mitigate that risk. And that's not something you need to, you know, boil the ocean for. These are no longer requirements of these giant million-dollar ERP implementations. You can make meaningful progress by cloud solutions, software as a service. That that's what you're describing here. Is that right? Exactly. I mean, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to talk too much about what we're doing. But for example, one of the things that you know uh, that we've uh, been able to do for people is is that uh, you know some of the ways that you get this visibility is just their status about where a particular item might be in terms of the life cycle of this program. It lives out there somewhere, um, but it requires too much effort for people to go, you know, manually collect the status. I mean, one of the things that always uh, surprised me uh, in this industry is that uh, it, the, the standard, the best practice, if you will, uh, for the best automotive suppliers is they may have anywhere between 10 to 40 programs uh, in flight at any one time. And these program managers are standing up in front of, you know, the leadership in the company every day, trying to give them the best picture they can about where they are. And they generally, you know, are days, you know, if not weeks behind in, in what that status is. That, we, that information can be pulled together and, you know, a single version of the status of those programs, you know, presented to somebody, uh, and that kind of capability is out there today for the reasons you cited. You have the ability with cloud solutions to be able to connect things in ways that we never were able to do before. And the good news, if there is a good news about the pandemic, is it moved people off the dime and realized that if we do not have things in the cloud and we get hit with something like this again, uh, there's going to, you know, there's going to be some impact to the business. So I, th I think there, I think you're going to see that number start to change, but our experience validates entirely the results of your survey. So you write in your Forbes article that while the semiconductor shortage is real, the causes mostly appear to be a classic supply chain issue. And I think we've covered uh, some of that um, as part of mm -hmm. this conversation we've, we've had thus far. What's interesting to me is what's on the horizon. This industry is pushing towards electrification, which, as we all know, means batteries, which all we know, the deeper you get into the supply chain, that means copper and lithium. And these things that, like semiconductors, we're not the only industry that are vying for those technologies. So when we look ahead, and I don't think anybody, right, is 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 in any means trying to 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 you know find ourselves in this situation when we're when we're talking about electrification 
Do you think that unless something changes, we could find ourselves in a situation like this again when it comes to, to the components and and those tier two and sub, tier three supply chain uh, uh, pieces that that empower or that power this electrification uh, push? Mm-hmm. No, I absolutely do. I think that you know the the, the expectation is that the content of vehicles that relies on uh, let's just call it electrification, whether that's at the drivetrain level or, or whatever, um, you know, that's only going to continue to increase. Uh, and, you know, you have uh, a lot of uh, 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 components now of the issue that are going to come to bear. So, for instance, um, you, you have suppliers now that are focused entirely on things like um, – the, uh, the the combination of, of hardware, the sensors, the cameras, but also the software behind that, developing that, the consumer's expectation now is, is that you are going to have a situation where uh, those systems are going to need to be updated. Uh, you talked earlier about, we, we haven't spent any time on this, but you mentioned it earlier about the amount of data, the, the, the data fire hose that's coming back towards the companies and what, what is it they need to do with all of that. A lot of that's going to involve feedback that needs to go, you know, into the develop the next vehicle, but it's also going to inform uh, buying patterns. It's also going to inform, um, you know, the, the, the demand side of things. And so if the suppliers in cooperation with the OEMs do not adapt some of these new practices around procurement, Okay, that we were talking about a minute ago, you can absolutely expect that this is going to come up again because it isn't just semiconductors. You mentioned batteries. That's another. And so you see a lot of the uh, OEMs looking to lock down, you know, a dedicated capacity to secure those batteries. It goes all the way down to rare earth minerals. Um, I remember uh, not that long ago, I didn't mention this in the article, but, uh, you know, China has uh, uh, locked up a lot of the supply worldwide of rare earth minerals. And so the cost component of that's an unknown that's going to happen right now. Uh, and you also have, you know, access to, to supply, you know, if they choose to sell to somebody else, you, you, you now have, you know, the potential for something very similar to semiconductors. Okay. You don't have that captive supply chain anymore. I think as we talk about this, right, and, and even one OEM this this past week has has even talked about bringing electrification in house, building their own batteries, right, vertically integrating the electrification piece of it. Um, you're looking at companies like Foxconn and Magna that are fully integrated, right? They're building vehicles on behalf of OEMs because they're vertically integrated. And, and I had an individual from Foxconn on the show a couple weeks ago, and he he said this helps shield the company and its customers from these types of situations. Do you think we're going to see vertical integration of some of of semiconductors and automotive? Well, I don't think you'll see vertical integration of semiconductors. No, I don't. I mean, you know, the, the, the expertise required to, you know, to be a fab in that area is just way out of reach and, and, and unnecessary. I think they need to be better about understanding the dynamics of how supply and demand work in that marketplace than they are today. And again, get that visibility because a lot of that's happening below the supply level. So I'm not expecting to see a lot of change in the automotive industry on verticalization. Um, the one area that I would expect to see it is the one you mentioned is on batteries. Okay. 
Excellent. 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 Dave, thank you for spending some time with me today on the show. Terrific insights. Uh, I appreciate you taking some time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me and uh, I wish you luck. That's Daily Drive for Thursday, April 29th. Join me tomorrow when my guest will be Matt Blunt, former Missouri governor and president of the American Automotive Policy Council. In the meantime, go to autonews.com for breaking news and autonews.com forward slash daily drive to catch up on all of our episodes of the podcast. As always, thanks for listening.